And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Good morning and welcome to an episode of Legal and Business Q&A Live. This is utlradio.com, your business success and legal information station, and I'm your host, Peter Lamont. So today we're going to be doing the live Q&A that we started last week. I think this is a very exciting show because it gives you the opportunity to call in and ask your business or legal question directly on the air, have a discussion. It's a great opportunity. The call-in number is 347-855-8831. That's 347-855-8831. Please call in with your legal and business questions. Now, before we get into today's show, a couple of announcements. First of all, I want to thank today's sponsor. And today's show is sponsored by mdsupplies.com. If you need medical supplies for your law office, your business, your doctor's office, your hospital, your daycare, no business you have, you are going to need some form of medical supplies, anything from a Band-Aid to something more, um, you know, significant. Go to mdsupplies.com. They have over 30,000 products, 62 vendors, and 510 brands. And even better than the variety and choices is the low cost. They are a manufacturer direct supply store. And that means that your products come directly from the manufacturers and that allows them to essentially have manufacturers compete against each other by you the lowest prices. So if you are looking for the lowest prices and the largest variety of medical supplies with free shipping on thousands of products, head on over to mdsupplies.com. They've got you covered. Also, I want to remind everybody about the brand new utlradio.com website. Um, I love it. It's been really, really, I think, working nicely. It was launched in January, and it was a complete rebuild, redesign from what was there previously. Uh, I'm very happy with the way it is. We received a lot of positive feedback, so I want to thank you for the feedback that we have received. Um, I want to encourage you to go check it out, okay, because you've got access to the blog, the podcast, you've got access to so much right from that website, including links to speak with us. Um, it's just so much that, that you can do right from, you know, the website. It, it's really great. Also, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher as well as make sure that you are subscribed to the YouTube channel because there is uh, different content. All right, let's look at what we're going to talk about today because we have a lot to cover. All right, we've got very interesting topics, interesting things that I want to discuss. We're going to start off with 
this uh, idea of mitigation damages. I'm sure it's a term that you've heard, especially if you've been handling legal matters on your own. And I'm going to explain it in a way that makes sense because I received a question the other day that just really, I think, hit this issue right on the head. And it, it kind of is a really good example. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about ripeness. And I'm not talking about fruit. I'm talking about your legal matter. And then I also want to move into some of the questions that we receive. Uh, they include questions about damages that a, a car company or an impound company may be responsible for, remedying a situation that someone's son is in. And this one, which is, I love this question, can a defendant issue a subpoena to a newspaper and post office or does that constitute defamation? That's a very interesting issue. We're going to get to that as well. Why don't we jump right into things and start off with what happened the other day. So I got this call from a woman who has a condo condominium um, duplex, okay? And basically what's going on with her is that the tenant above had a leak and the water seeped down into her unit and caused a lot of damage. Now, the issue really is somewhere around five to $10,000 from what I understand it as far as damages go. So it's a matter that she wants to handle on her own because as you know, we've talked on this show numerous times about the fact that one of the reasons you want to handle something on your own is because if you hire a lawyer, you are going to be breaking even essentially because in order to recover the money that she's damaged, the five or $10,000, She's going to be paying most of that to an attorney, so it doesn't make financial sense. So the issue that she raises is this. She wants to sue the unit owner above her and the management committee, the board, uh, the condo, all, you know, the, the superintendent, uh, the maintenance team. She wants to sue everybody because of the damage. And I had said to her, don't you have insurance? And she said, yes. I said, did you submit a claim to your carrier? She said, yes. I said, all right, well, what have they told you? They said that they were going to value what I lost, and then they were going to make me an offer. I said, okay. I said, so why would you want to sue right now? Why wouldn't you want to wait until the offer comes in? And she says, because, you know, it takes a long time. I don't want to do that. I, I would rather just sue. So, you know, this raises a number of issues. One of the issues is ripeness, okay? What, what do I mean by ripe? Again, I'm not talking about fruits. I'm talking about your cause of action, your claim, your lawsuit. When do you have standing? This is another legal term of art. When do you have standing to bring your case? When is your case ripe? Well, in a situation that like she's in, she doesn't really, in my opinion, have a legitimate claim yet, okay? She might have a liability claim against the unit owner above or the board for, for you know, um, liability, meaning it's their fault for the leak. But remember that in order to have a successful lawsuit, you've got to be able to show liability and damages and the damages issue is up in the air. Why? Because the insurance company hasn't come back with a number. What happens if the insurance company comes back 
and agrees to pay the full amount, then what happens? Well, she'd have no damages and therefore would have no lawsuit. So there's a lot of, of legal things that are going on here. There's words that we've mentioned like standing, mootness. Well, I haven't mentioned that yet, but I just did now. Mitigation, ripeness. These are all terms that you've got to be aware of. We're going to be doing some videos this coming week on those topics so that you can get a better handle on each one individually. But suffice it to say that I don't think it's the proper time for this woman to file the lawsuit because I would you know, encourage her to wait a week or two and find out what the insurance company comes back with. Because if the insurance company comes back with a claim that satisfies her damages, then where are her damages? What is the point of filing the lawsuit? Now that leads to a separate point, which is what if her carrier comes back and undervalues the repairs. Well, then you may have a first party claim. What does that mean? Well, in insurance law, there are two types of claims that you could have, a first party claim or a third party claim. A first party claim is when you are going to sue your own insurance company because they did not fulfill their obligations under the policy of insurance that you pay for every month with your premium. A third party claim is when you're suing somebody else triggers their insurance coverage. So you're in a car accident caused by Sally, you sue Sally and it triggers her insurance coverage. So does that make sense? There's a first party claim and a third party claim. Well, if your insurance company doesn't want to pay you or give you the money that you believe you're entitled to, then you might have a first party claim where you're going to be able to either challenge or in the extreme circumstance, sue your insurance company so that you can force them to fulfill their obligations under the policy. You might need to hire your own appraiser to come in and, and challenge the valuation that they gave you from the insurance company. Obviously, look, you know what insurance companies are about. You pay them a premium, they're betting on you not having a claim, and that's how they make their money. They don't want to pay out money. There are certainly some insurance companies out there that are very fair, very good. And when you submit a legit claim, they're going to pay you legit bucks. But there are also a ton of carriers that just have this standing policy of issuing denials or lowballing you because they're going to roll the dice to see if you're going to step up to the plate and challenge them. So, you know, I think this is an interesting topic because it raises or triggers all these discussions of these legal terms like rightness and mootness and, you know, standing. I think that these are important issues to understand. So I wanted to just mention them and touch on them because they're going to be the subject of videos this week. And I would encourage you to make sure that you subscribe to the YouTube channel so that you are you know, receiving updates and seeing the videos as they're posted. There is a link for um, you know, convenience sake. There is a link on utlradio.com that takes you right to the subscribe page on YouTube. So please make sure that you are making use of it and you are subscribing to YouTube. Uh, one other point I wanna make about subscriptions, there is a newsletter sign up on the homepage of utlradio.com and you want to subscribe to the newsletter because A, we don't spam you, B, you're gonna get one newsletter every month but in that newsletter, you're going to have exclusive content 
that other people don't have access to. Exclusive videos, uh, behind the scenes, some additional information, checklists, and, and things that you're going to find very helpful, very useful. Um, and so when we do videos about mootness, you're going to have access to exclusive content on some of those topics that don't actually go into the regular YouTube video. So make sure you sign up for that. So getting back to the issue at hand with this woman and her potential lawsuit, I think that she should wait a week, find out what the carrier is going to do, and then reevaluate. What's important is not to be impulsive when it comes to litigation. Being impulsive is a bad thing. You know, I, I was thinking last night, I was sitting at my son's basketball game and thinking about an analogy, something that would work, that makes sense to you to help you understand in a better way how you need to act in a lawsuit versus how you would act with your family. And, and this is the best that I can do. So for those of you out there that are Star Trek fans, and I'm talking about, you know, Captain Kirk, original, William Shatner, Captain Kirk, I'm going to make this, uh, this analogy. In a lawsuit, you need to be like Mr. Spock, logical, calm. You need to analyze. And then at home, you need to be like Captain Kirk, passionate, excitable, energetic, you know, and a of rashness isn't a bad thing in your personal life. But when it comes to litigation, not to absolutely 100%. Emotions are good to an extent. Okay, emotions are good to an extent. They are not good when you are trying to be successful in litigation. Why are they not good? Because they can blind your logical brain. They can make you do rash and impulsive things that end up hurting you. You know, you have to understand that when you're in a lawsuit, Let's assume they're represented by an attorney. That attorney doesn't really, really care about the issue. They care about winning. And, and let me explain this for a second because I know it sounds very crass and very uh, unfeeling. But it's reality. Okay, I think that it's appropriate to say that attorneys who are representing a party about winning. They care about satisfying their client. They don't really care about the emotion of it. Sure, there are some attorneys that get emotional. Um, some, of the, some of them that get very excitable, and it oftentimes hurts them. You know, it, um, I think, detracts from their ability to be successful in their case. It takes away something. So you'll see attorneys that are far more, I don't know, methodical, more logical, and they're going to get under the skin of somebody that's emotional. Does that make sense? When you're dealing with somebody that's calm and very logical or methodical and you're not, 
you know, doesn't um, doesn't that kind of take you off your game, right? I think so. Absolutely, I think so. So I think that's really important to understand that you've got to be like Mr. Spock in litigation and Captain Kirk at home. That's a fairly good analogy, I think. Um, so I'd like you to, to consider that, if you would, when you think about litigating. So in the case of this woman and her water damage, yes, it's bad. Yes, we should be irritated and upset, but not emotional to the point where we do rash things that end up hurting us. And when I say hurting us, I mean wasting our time, wasting our money, um, and and just things that don't need to be done, like don't sue right now. Why don't you wait and find out what the carrier is going to provide? Okay, I hope that makes sense on that topic. All right, now I want to answer some of the questions that were submitted. Um, and we have a couple people on the line. I'm going to ask you to to hold, if you would. Uh, somebody is going to pick you up and get your questions in a second. I just want to go through these questions that were submitted. So first one is, do I have a chance at making the impound company pay for damages? This gentleman had his exotic motorcycle impounded, and he claims that it was in condition. When he got it from impound, it had damage to the wheels and other parts. Three years ago, but I have documentation from a police report and the impound report. So what what is his likelihood of success? Well, let me, let me explain this. It, it takes place in Jersey. Why is that relevant? Because you've got to look at the New Jersey statute of limitations with respect to property damage. And the statute of limitations in New Jersey for property damage is six years. So right off the bat, you know, a lot of people would look at this question and say, this happened three years ago. Why do you want to bring a suit now? You wouldn't have the ability to do that. You'd be barred. You'd be precluded. Well, that's not true because the statute of limitations for property damage is six years. He is within that statute. Therefore, he could absolutely bring a lawsuit. Now, that leaves, of course, the issues of providing, proving, I should say, liability and damages. So does he have proof that the motorcycle was in good condition prior to being impounded? Does he have any photographs? Does he have anybody that would testify? Um, because, you know, his testimony would be one thing, but it would certainly be better if he had the testimony of somebody else. Separately, he's got to prove damages. What is the cost to him of which did the bike depreciate in value? Does it need maintenance or repair? All of these things would factor into his damages. So, you know, to the extent that the question is, does he have a claim? Absolutely, he has a claim. He could file a claim within the statute of limitations for property damage. As long as he's got some sort of evidentiary support, he get testimony from himself and or others, and maybe some photographs, I think that he'd be able to establish liability. And then follow that up with the damages, that's relatively easy to prove as well, because it's really a matter of able to say here's what it costs to repair or here is the depreciated value of the bike because of the damage. You know, sometimes you'll have something like an exotic motorcycle or a collectible car and you can't repair it with factory original pieces. You've got to get aftermarket pieces and that can oftentimes decrease the value of the collectible. So, you know, in situations where you've got a Let's say it's a 
57 Chevy or, or some sort of old Corvette, and it's factory original in near mint condition, and somebody does something to it, there is no way you're going to be able to replace that. I shouldn't say no way, but it would be very difficult for you to replace that with original parts. You're going to really be looking at aftermarket work, and that could definitely decrease the value of the car. So, you know, food for thought. Um, but I think that this question is a good one because I was talking to some people. I had asked them the question, look, do you think that, that someone could sue for property damage three years after the damage occurred? And most people surprisingly said, no, no, too much time has passed. He can't. Well, in fact, he can. So I think that that's uh, an, an interesting question and an interesting point. All right, next question I want to touch on is, what can my son do to remediate this situation? My son submitted or subletted his apartment to another student since he was not feeling well living in the old house. He wanted to move back home. So he asked the landlord about subletting, and the landlord originally said yes, then later on denied that he said yes. So in the meantime, her son sublet it to another kid, and now the landlord is harassing the new kid, and her son is getting worried. So she wants to know, what can he do about it? Well, first of all, uh, I'm going based solely off of the information provided. Really, I could use a little, bit of more, a little bit more information, but let's just go off of what we have. So in this situation, it could potentially end up being significant and you know, end up in litigation depending upon the demeanor and attitude of the landlord. Okay, where did the kid go wrong? Where did the student go wrong? Anyone? Well, it should be clear. He did not get permission in writing to sublease the apartment. Now, I don't know if there's a lease, but oftentimes general leases that landlords use, there's something that's that, that stock. You can get it from Staples or somewhere online. And many of these stock agreements that I have seen, at least, have a no subletting clause in them. So you're not allowed to sublease the premises without prior written consent from the landlord. So in this situation, you know, the kid just didn't think or know better and asked, well, that's reasonable, right? It's reasonable to ask the landlord, hey, you know, do you mind if I do this? It is. It absolutely is. So I'm in no way faulting this kid. He didn't know. That's why I think it's important to listen to utlradio.com because you're going to learn and you're going to know for the next time. So what he should have done is he should have quest for it in writing. Now, you could always run into a landlord that says, no way, I'm not going to put anything in writing. You know, too bad. Um, but if he had sent an email or a letter, something confirming this, even a self-serving email like, dear Mr. Smith, thanks for allowing me to sublease the premises. I mean, that's something, because if the landlord didn't write back and say, no, wait a minute, I didn't, <clears throat> then you've got something. Does that make sense? All right, so keeping that in mind, what does he do now? Well, now you've got a tough road to hoe because, as I never told you, and you have no proof, it's his word against your word, and these lawsuits are never, never good. Never good. They're not the ones that you want to be in because so much depends upon the way that a judge 
jury is going to look at your case. These are the situations that we've talked about before where your appearance, your demeanor, um, how you handle yourself are going to be very relevant to the outcome of the case because a jury is tasked with deciding that. But these are in dispute. So the landlord is going to say, no way. I never said sublet it. Look, as a matter of fact, it says right here in the lease that he's not permitted to sublease the premises without something signed from me, something writing from me. And the kid's going to say, no, wait a minute. I know, but I called you and I asked you. And you said, yes, go ahead and do it. And I didn't told you who was going to be there. And on top of that, you've been accepting checks from, you know, my friend who's now in the apartment. So I don't understand. You know, what does a jury do with that? Well, I'd like to say to you that there is some sort of, you know, measuring stick, some sort of lie detector that, that could be um, put into effect to prove the case and, and you know, allow the jury to have an easy decision. But that's not the case ever. That doesn't happen. This is a he said, she said. This is something that the jury is going to be uh, persuaded by demeanor, attitude. So if the kid's a smart aleck and he gets on the witness stand or he's at a deposition and he's like a Justin Bieber smart ass during a deposition, if you've not seen the Justin Bieber deposition footage, you can search that up on YouTube. That's interesting. That is 100% the way not to give deposition testimony. We'll talk about that in another video at some point. Um, but let's assume, for all intents and purposes, this kid is, is the Biebs. And he gets on the stand, and he's obnoxious and arrogant, and the landlord is humble and polite and seems to be telling the truth. Which way do you think the jury is going to go? Well, dollars to donuts, I think the jury is going to say this kid's full of himself. He's arrogant. He's obnoxious. He is lying. Now, conversely, let's say you have a landlord that's obnoxious and the kid is believable. It could obviously go the other way with a jury believing that the kid did actually get verbal permission to sublease the premises. So unlike a contract dispute where really it's, it's, it's a factual issue, you're looking at the terms and conditions of the contract, you're trying to analyze and understand what the provisions of the contract require, this is one of those where so many other things come into play. So how, again, could he have avoided this? Remember what I said, and don't forget it. Get it in writing, okay? I can't overstress, overemphasize the importance of having things like that in writing. And again, even if it goes back to that self-serving email or letter. All right, I'm going to up with this following uh, or final question. I love this question because I think it is um, something that is often confused, and, and I've never actually seen this question with this or these set of circumstances. So here's what's going on. This gentleman is the defendant in a lawsuit, and the plaintiff obviously filed the suit against him. He then filed a counterclaim against the plaintiff. Now, as part of his defense and counterclaim against the plaintiff, he filed or served a subpoena on 
on a newspaper and a post office, and he's trying to get the videotape that the post office has. Now, he didn't tell me the details of the litigation, but this is what information I do have. So, you know, now you've got the plaintiff who is trying to add another count to his complaint for defamation. He's saying that the plaintiff famed him by serving the subpoenas on the third parties, the post office and um, the newspaper. So what do you think about that? Does letting a third party, while you're in the midst of a lawsuit, know about the lawsuit, does that constitute defamation? Does that in any way trigger some sort of libel or slander case? Well, the answer is absolutely not. And I'm going to explain why. You see, first of all, understand that subpoenas are part of the legal process. And when you're a defendant or a plaintiff in a lawsuit, you have the right, the absolute ability to go out and to discover all relevant information that could either support your claim or disprove the other party's claim. You've got that right. You need to be doing that. That's how you move your case along towards the end of uh, you know either winning or losing. So that's that's a given. But now, what about the fact that this third party who didn't know about this lawsuit is getting a subpoena? Well, complete nonsense to suggest that you could file a defamation complaint. Absolutely, absolutely not. First of all, understand that by filing his complaint, the plaintiff has made his legal issues public. They're public record. Unless there's some sort of confidentiality order that the judge signed, this is an open file that anybody can go to the courthouse and request to look at. Separately, there are certain types of communication that are considered to be absolutely privileged. And, and, and when I say absolute privilege, what I mean is that the person making the statement has the absolute right to make the statement at that time, even if it is defamatory. Now, a subpoena, unless there's something unique about what's in the subpoena, it's not defamatory. It's a request for testimony or documents on a particular legal matter. Now, is it possible that this gentleman served his subpoena and it says all sorts of bad things in a cover letter? You know, this scumbag suing me and I'm serving you this subpoena because I want this information to disprove him because he's a liar? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. But let's get back to this idea of absolute privilege. So, you know, in general, the absolute privilege idea exempts people from liability for potentially defamatory statements made under certain circumstances. And one of them is during a judicial proceeding. Now, the fact that you serve the subpoena does not constitute defamation. But going back to my example a few seconds ago, uh, is it possible that he wrote a cover letter that says all sorts of negative things? Well, does that constitute part of a judicial proceeding? Or is that something outside the bounds or the contemplation of the privilege where you're using the legal process, the judicial process, process to see something that you know is offensive. Now, what if the letter says, I'm in, you know, the defendant in a lawsuit and I dispute what the plaintiff says and I need this to disprove him um, because the statements are false? That, I think, is not defamatory. I think, of course, if you resort to 
name calling, that sort of thing. The judge would probably say this is outside the contemplation of the privilege. It's outside the realm of, of what the judicial process protects. And therefore, it could be defamatory. But a, just a general subpoena? No way. No way. It is part of the process. It's part of the judicial process. The subpoena, absolutely privileged. Whatever communication that he makes during the judicial proceeding, absolutely privileged. So I think it's important because it's very it's a very interesting question. You know, as lawyers, we don't think anything of that. We think, of course, you can serve a subpoena. But for the person who represents themselves, they don't know. And so I, I appreciate this question, and I hope that it helps many of you understand the rights that you have as a litigant. All right, that's going to do it for today. I want to um, apologize to the called in. We do have your information. We did take your questions. We will be getting to them next week. We're just a little backlogged with the live show um, because it was only sort of resurrected last week. And um, I want to make sure that we answer some of the questions that have been sitting waiting for an answer on the live show. Those of you who are not interested in having your questions addressed on the live show, you can always submit your questions and we can answer them on one of the other podcasts, the legal Q&A or the business Q&A. Or if you're not interested in having a question on the air at all, that's okay too. That's the purpose of utlradio.com, to help you understand, to give you some legal DIY and how-to information. So you can always call, email, text, tweet, you know, post a message and somebody will answer your question. The one thing I promise you is your question submitted will receive an answer, and that's my guarantee to you because my job is to make sure that your legal questions are answered, that you understand what you're doing, and uh, that is extremely important to me. So I want you to know that if you submit a question, you will get answers. I also want to thank the sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by ME Supplies for the lowest prices and largest variety of medical supplies on the Internet you head over to mesupplies.com. Um, and please remember to share this information. You know, share it, like it, post it, retweet it, let people know about it, follow what we're doing. My goal in 2016 is to really expand our reach and to throughout the country know that there is help our resources out there they have to handle on their own. There's somewhere to go. There's somewhere to go for resources. There's somewhere to download information. There's videos to watch. There is help out there. I need your help to that. I need your help to let other people know about it. Letting me help other people. They're legal. So to share this information with your friends, your family, and colleagues, and let them know about utradio.com, your business success in legal information station. I'll see you later.
Once upon a morning, there was a freshly brewed McCafe coffee. It was made with 100% Arabica beans, yet something was missing. Fear not, in the distance, a sausage McMuffin with egg rides toward the sunrise in quest for breakfast. The perfect pair met at McDonald's, and mornings were happy forever after. Right now, get a $1 small coffee and a $2 sausage McMuffin with egg from the $1-2-3 menu. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.